Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. On today's episode of our daily NYFF 59 edition, NYFF director Eugene Hernandez chats with director Todd Haynes about his new documentary, The Velvet Underground, a main slate selection at this year's festival. The Velvet Underground opens on October 13th at Film at Lincoln Center, and tickets are on sale now. After finding inspiration in the band's music for his fictional film, Velvet Goldmine, Haynes now explores the true history of the band in this formally adventurous documentary feature. Combining contemporary interviews and archival documentation with newscasts, advertisements, and a trove of avant-garde film from the era, Haynes constructs a vibrant cinematic collage that is as much about the New York of the 60s and 70s as it is about the rise and fall of the group that has been called as influential as the Beatles. To learn more and get tickets for this year's NYFF, taking place through October 10th indoors and outdoors throughout New York City, visit filmlink.org. Enjoy this conversation with director Todd Haynes. Of course, you know, this being the New York Film Festival, there's another movie coming in soon, so we don't have a ton of time. But this is a movie that we're going to be talking about um, tonight and this weekend, there's a conversation happening this weekend. There's another screening outdoors this weekend, um, and the film will be opening here at our theaters. We're going all in on this movie. <laughs> um, Todd, did so? Here's one thing I want to ask you: Did um, did your exploration that ultimately led to this film did it start through? through Lou, through the Velvet Underground broadly, through the city and what was happening in the 60s? How, how did it begin for you? Wait, do you mean this exploration that of led this, to this film? Of the film itself? Yeah, yeah. You know, what, what was the original? I think the original was what we, what was missing, what we couldn't have access to in this film. And what that largely was, was Lou Reed yeah. uh, and Sterling and Nico and but it also was the fact that there doesn't exist the kind of traditional film and material around a band like most other bands. That was both a creative limit and an incredible opportunity because what that meant was that it was about the avant-garde cinema of the time. And that's where the Velvet Underground exists in images, in the work of Andy Warhol. But it was also an entire network of creative activity in film, in music, in art, in art that was happening in the city that we decided to explore in full in the clips that we include in the, in the film. And it's not just ornamental because this band was so deeply connected to right. so many different filmmakers. Right. And so that became the way to visualize the film, but that got us right into the cultural and creative experimentation that was going on and the city you know, and that, and the 1960s, and how New York distinguished itself so interestingly from the counterculture going on the rest of the country. And so, as you were embarking on, in the earliest stages of making this movie, what were the what were the original sources? What were the first sources you went to to start kind of anchoring yourself? It it of course started with Jonas and anthology and wanting to make sure we reached out initially to Jonas. Jonas had just turned 96 in 2018 when we started to do our interviews. And he was the first interview that we filmed because of that and how central and important he would be to this. But really, we knew 
uh, right alongside Anthology and Jonas, it was about the Warhol Museum. And so we made a sojourn to Pittsburgh and really wanted to reach out and develop a good relationship with those guys and really tell them what we were trying to do and, and the methods we were talking about, getting to know the, the, the incredible folks in that museum and that archive. And they opened up a lot in, in just a few days that we were there. Greg Pierce, who's the um, archivist, and, all, and, and his team showed us so much amazing stuff that ended up being central to the film, of course. So the, the movie, and now I've watched it, I don't know, four times? Um, but watching it on this screen with this sound, I mean, the, the yeah. movie explodes in so many ways, not only onto the screen, but but in the way that you're using the sound design. Can you talk about sort of how you established or how you developed a plan for the way you would utilize the voices, the imagery, the new interviews that you're doing, the interviews that exist that you didn't do with people that are no longer with us, yeah. um, how you establish sort of the parameters for yourself, because the movie's just exploding in every different direction in such a beautiful way. It started, you know, it really started with the, that dedicated um, collection of films, the list of films that we wanted to have in our data bank. Uh, which Brian O'Keefe, one of my, uh, one of the two um, archive producers on the film and my partner began and really dug in deep on first. And that became the sort of um, framework under which we went and tried to get and collect all of that material. We conducted all the interviews and shot all the interviews in 2018. Um, and so we pretty much had everything that we needed by Fonzie and I might editor who I've worked with over the years, went off to do Dark Waters, my last feature. And Adam Kernett, who I'd never worked with before, but who'd worked with Fonz on, on the um, Stooges doc, mm -hmm. began the, the, the initial work of sort of building the foundation, going through the interviews, going through the hours and hours and hours of, of an experimental film. Um, but we knew, I knew from the beginning, and it sort of fleshed out with the materials that we dug into deeply that I really wanted to spend a lot of time looking at the origins of the band and the music. I should also just add that this, the decision from the beginning with who we would interview for a movie about the Velvet Underground, I decided to also limit to people who were there. There will be generations and generations of musicians and artists and critics <clears throat> who could tell us how important the Velvet Underground are, but I felt like I wanted it to come out of the time and place of New York. And so that also was a nice way to limit and focus in, lean in on the people who were there. Um, had you ever thought about making a documentary, documentary before? Or I could ask, why have you never made a documentary before? Um, the choice to make a documentary at this moment and the creative exercise, experience, opportunity that it affords you as a filmmaker. Maybe you could talk a bit about that. Yeah, I think, you know, when I've done research on all of my films are usually set in the past, <clears throat> and many of them have themes of musicians and musical genres uh, that I've explored. And in whenever I dig in deep, particularly when it's about such distinctive artists, musical figures as David Bowie or Bob Dylan or even Karen Carpenter, you know. Mm -hmm. um, 
it, you you encounter you encounter the images of them from the time, and you know I'm trying to think creatively or um, you know experimentally about how to navigate the the biographical film, fictional film, in different ways, and there's different ways that I explored that in those those other films. But there are times where you are astonished by what you find, of course. And there's a sense of uh, something sort of um, sort of unholy about the idea of replicating Bowie, recreating Bob Dylan. You know, so I had to find recourses that made it very clear that these were fictions I was creating on purpose, and that the viewer had the chance to navigate between what they know of these people and what we're what I was doing in the strategies of those films. In this case, people have said, had you ever considered doing the Velvet Underground film as a dramatic film? And I I just there was just no way because it was like this film is about all of these other filmmakers, too. This film is an homage to those images that were collected at that time and the images of Andy that Andy Warhol collected of this band. And I the idea just, just seemed, you know, inconceivable to try to recreate that. When also this material is not something people know. This was the the, the absolute occasion under which to share it mm -hmm. and to and to get us back to that extraordinary, strange, unique, radical time and place through this material. Take home limited edition merch from this year's 59th New York Film Festival. The official NYFF 59 poster, designed by artist Kara Walker, plus original NYFF t-shirts, hats, and more, are now available. Shop online at filmlink.org merch, or during the festival at Alice Tully Hall and the Eleanor Bunin Monroe Film Center. Have you, <clears throat> I, would, I would imagine you've had a little bit of time to sit with what you've created to talk with folks about it. One of the things that I was thinking about as I was watching it again is to what extent you're exploring Lou Reed, this moment, these experimental filmmakers, New York, the early 60s, but in, in what ways you're also exploring your own creative roots. Because there's so much in this film that I see that's connected to so much of what you've been doing mm. for a bunch of years now. So have you thought about sort of how you were exploring something else, but also exploring your own creativity? Well. Yeah, clearly the root of, you know, I think I had already been listening to Bowie and Roxy Music and punk rock music and Patti Smith when I f then encountered the Velvet Underground for the first time in college. And I felt like I was sort of um, discovering a root that I didn't know existed. And the enabler, the the... The, the the music and the sort of cultural moment that made all of that other music and generations of music possible, but it 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 had a really um, unique effect on me uh, as a creative sort of environment that it felt like I it was inviting me into and 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 saying you can do you can do what you have a voice as well. You can, you know, do this, do similar kinds of things, explore similar kinds of ideas or questions about identity and about culture and about queerness 
uh, in film. And the famous idiom of Brian Eno's that everybody, there were, you know, only 5,000 people bought the record, but everyone who did started a band. <laughs> you under, I understand that when I, under, when I started to excavate their story because they were the product of such a cross current of cultural and creative ideas and a, and a um, contagion about wanting to ask questions about conventions about art and music and film that was spreading throughout this city. And, and also, it was in, cast within a very unique sensibility that we don't really have, we, would, we might wanna call it queer today, it's not a word that it feels historically accurate mm -hmm. for the period, it was so pre-Stonewall. Mm -hmm. The part of the film that takes them to Los Angeles and the West Coast is a way that you really understand a series of assumptions about behavior and, and identity and attitudes about the world that were not being shared by the sort of heteronormativity of the status quo, or the status quo or the counterculture in other parts of the country. Mm -hmm. And I don't think even they realized how different they were until they, until they went there and how unified they were. You know, Mary Warnoff will say they were, she met all those folks in the, in, in the West Coast and they were all like the earth mothers and the bacon bread and make, you know, rubbing the feet of the hippie boyfriends and all that stuff. And she was like, they were all like, oh wow, and talked really slowly and were, you know, exploring the cosmos. And we were all talking really fast about movies and films and books and shooting speed or whatever it was. And she said they were homophobic and we were homosexual. And Mary Warnoff was not literally gay or lesbian, but that's how she phrased it and identified it. It was homosexual, you know, and it was not, uh, and it was also, you know, the Velvets were talking about human frailty and vulnerability and pain and that feeling of wanting to nullify your life that feeling that we've all felt, but that in all the amazing stuff that was coming out in the 1960s, no one was really talking about that in popular culture, in popular music culture, until the Velvet Underground. What do you think about, I'm getting a signal from the side. Um, <clears throat> how do you hope this film will be regarded among an audience that might not have a connection to some of the music or some of the artists that you're exploring? Have you thought about sort of what you're hoping it might, how it might connect? I mean, you just want it to inspire other people, the music and the time and place, the way it inspired me as a creative person. Um, and also to, un, to sort of reappraise the value of their sense of, of um, resistance to forces of convention, forces of, right? And those are things that some today in our sort of corporate riddled world capitalist sort of dominated culture, uh, you don't feel necessarily young people gravitating toward that idea of resisting and saying no and standing outside and wanting to find someplace outside of that huge uh, machine. 
And that's where great art happens. You have to resist the culture as well. And in the 1960s, with so much going on, that took even more grit and, you know, fortitude, I think. Todd Haynes, we have to pause there. And Thank you, guys.